In American society, money is a taboo topic. We're taught at a young age it's improper to talk about it, but we're also bombarded with messages about the power and importance of money in our everyday lives. And by not talking about it, we miss out on the skills and lessons we need to effectively understand and financially plan. That changes today. Welcome to Money Tales. Hosted by Sandy Brager and Cami Doder, Money Tales brings more than 35 years of combined professional experience in personal finance to demystify money and demonstrate what it's like to speak openly about personal financial matters. Join us each episode as they interview modern-day movers and shakers about how money decisions intertwine with their daily lives in order to give you better insight into productive financial conversations. Subscribe today and register for our blog, Fathom, at Asperient.com slash podcasts to increase your money mojo. And now, here's Cami and Sandy. Hi, this is Cami. John and David, known as the Debt-Free Guys, are our guests this week on Money Tales. Early in their relationship, David and John were considering buying land in the mountains that they could build their dream vacation home on. During their drive back to Denver, after looking at some properties, they fantasized about the home they'd build. Then, as they were descending the mountain, one of them asked, how are we going to pay for this? John and David ended up confessing to each other how much debt each of them was carrying. As they described it, they were literally and figuratively living in a hole financially. It turns out that driving down a highway at 75 miles an hour is helpful for hard money conversations because neither could jump out of the discussion. David and John are husbands living fabulously who help other queer people and their allies live fabulously too. Their Debt-Free Guys blog and Queer Money podcast are the number one gay money blog and podcast for the LGBTQ community. Be sure to check them out at debtfreeguys.com. Hi, this is Sandy. Here are three key Money Tales conversation topics John and David hit on in this conversation. First, how they received messages as LGBTQ young men about how they were not valuable members of society and were not good people. That led to self-loathing, which triggered what they call a debt depression spiral. When you feel bad about yourself, your brain says, I don't want to feel this way. Spending money to outwardly show everyone how fabulous and great you are by the things you have provides some relief. Second, how on top of that, there's an archetype of the perfect gay man that a lot of people have, both from inside and outside of the LGBTQ community. David and John were trying to live up to that expensive standard and each started using credit cards to make up for what they couldn't afford. And third, how they got creative in gamified achievement of their debt-free goal. They were so good at this, they were able to shave off 78% of one of their grocery bills. We hope you share this episode with a friend and please subscribe to Money Tales on your favorite podcast platform. Now, on to our conversation with John and David, the debt-free guys. Hello, Money Tales listeners. This is Cami, and I'm here with Sandy, my co-host. Hi, Cami. I'm so glad to be here today. I'm just coming in from a client meeting where we were having some deep discussions about investments. What'd you talk about? Well, 2022 has been a very volatile year and clients are just wanting to make sure that they're well positioned. And one of the 
great tools that we have working with clients is our ability to look at their long-term wealth plan and to model what the future looks like if portfolios remain where they're at, if there's some more downward volatility, what happens if there's some recovery. So we were having a conversation about the context for decision-making and reminding them about what's most important to them and the role of the investment portfolio. And importantly, the time horizon of the investment portfolio and really trying to help them get comfortable with discomfort in the markets. Those are some important conversations, I think, particularly now. Very important. It's in environments like this where we help hold hands, act as sounding boards and making sure that they're making decisions based on what's most important to them instead of reacting with emotions, which is very easy for folks to do. I'd like to welcome our guests today, David and John, the debt-free guys. It's wonderful to be talking with you on Money Tales. Hello. Thank you for having us. It's wonderful to be here. Yeah, exactly. We're excited to have a conversation about money. (laughs) (laughs) Us too. Would you introduce yourselves and provide a couple pivotal moments that really impacted you and made you the people you are today? Sure. This is John. Probably most critically and importantly, my parents were very influential in making me who I am. I came from a somewhat small town. That was a big influence on who I was and who I came to be. Growing up in a small town and realizing that I was gay and didn't necessarily fit in, that was one of the biggest moments in my life and encouraged me, inspired me to try to get out of the small town as quickly as possible. Luckily, I did because I found the man sitting next to me. Let's meet that man. (laughs) Hi, this is David. I'm just slightly older than John. I was born in 1970, but some pivotal moments for me. Sometime around the age of six or seven, my parents became deeply religious. And because of that, my father stopped working at a nuclear bomb factory. (laughs) And because of that, he basically took a 50% cut in pay. That had a major impact on how my family saw money. We went from being a standard middle-class family to my sister and I getting school lunches, sometimes for free and sometimes for a dime. I never understood the difference between why it was a dime and why it was free. But I think that developed in me and my family a scarcity mindset around money. And I kept that in my life for a long time. Similar to John, I knew early on that I was gay. I had the self-loathing that religion taught me about that. I think that affected me and my money story, that money was oftentimes used as an escape or a way to make myself feel better about who I was. And it wasn't until I was 26 that I finally got up the courage to leave behind my family and my friends and go out on my own. And one of the key reasons for it being that point in my life was because that's when I finally got my first full-time job. Up until that point, I had never had enough money to live on my own. I was always either living with somebody or relying on my family for some form of financial support. So that was the beginning of me being myself when I started to fall into a financial hole. Interesting backgrounds. When did you two meet and how did you become the debt-free guys? I moved to Denver, Colorado and about a year and a half after I moved there, roommate and I moved out from college together. For a period of time, there was a girl living with us. She wasn't paying rent. She wasn't either of our girlfriends. She was just living there to get her through a transition period. One night, my boyfriend at the time and I and she were home and we were bored. It was Friday or Saturday night. And we said, well, we're bored and we're young. We should go out and do something. So we went to the dance club. We were dancing and all of a sudden, Lene was talking to this guy who was like, wow, he's quite attractive. 
And your boyfriend's with you. I know. <laughs> Lo and behold, it was actually David. She was David's biology TA. He was in college at the time. And that's how David and I first met. We were both in a relationship at that time. We didn't get together until a couple of years after that. But we had established a friendship by that point. We became the debt-free guys and we finally confessed to each other that we had $51,000 in credit card debt. We had spent a weekend up in Winter Park, Colorado, hanging out with my friend who I moved out to Colorado with and his girlfriend at the time. And Dave and I were there and we had a great weekend. And we thought, having been up there several times before, for some reason, this particular experience resonated with us. And we thought we could really enjoy living here, having a vacation home here. We could come up here on weekends and go snowboarding and skiing in the wintertime or come up here for brew festivals and concerts in the summertime. When we weren't around, we could loan it to our friends or invite them up for big weekend gatherings. We're really excited about the prospect of building a home. On the way out of town that Sunday, we stopped at a real estate agent's office and looked at some property. And we got in the car and we started fantasizing about what this life would look like for us as we drove back down to Denver. We don't know exactly who brought the question up, but as we were descending down the mountain, one of us said, how are we going to pay for this? Can we afford it? We went from a high of being able to buy land and build a modern home of our own up in Winter Park to maybe being able to rent up there on the weekends at Airbnb or VRBO or something of that nature, to pulling up to our driveway and walking down the flight of stairs into our basement apartment saying, we actually really can't afford to go up there on a weekend to visit my friend. We don't have two nickels to rub together. So we were literally and figuratively living in a hole financially. That was when we finally said, despite both of us being in financial services and helping other people with their money, telling them how to save and invest for retirement, how to invest in the stock market, don't have too much debt, all that good stuff that we tell our clients, we were financial messes ourselves. So we were the cobbler's kids with no shoes. That happens a lot. I want to say there's a joke in the way you met through a biology TA, but we won't go there. (laughs) In the poetry of having this realization of this heavy conversation as you're heading down a mountain and then into your basement. We don't necessarily encourage it, but we do think that driving down the highway at 65 to 75 miles an hour facilitated that neither of us could jump ship on the conversation, right? (laughs) We were stuck in a car and there was no way to back out of the conversation. It was just that was the way the conversation was going to go until that car stopped and we got out. We are asked sometimes for having tips on how to have these money conversations. And we might have to incorporate driving on long trips very fast down a highway. May I understand a little bit about this debt? What was the debt from? John and I, after we confessed to each other, we took some time to try to understand why we got into debt. First of all, I did the numbers. But I think over the next year or two, as we were paying our debt off, we really started to ask ourselves, why were we continuing to spend money we didn't have? It was during that discovery process that John and I started to understand the mindset side of our bad spending habits. And we both go back to our childhoods and the way we were raised. I alluded to this earlier, but we both say there was a time and place where it wasn't okay for us to be gay, whether it was home or school or politicians or media or whatever. We kept on hearing this you're not okay, you're not a good person, you're not a valuable member of society. That led to, as I mentioned, some self-loathing or some feeling bad about ourselves. John and I like to describe this, the debt depression spiral that a lot of folks can get on. You feel bad about yourself and your brain says, I don't want to feel this way. So you look for ways to make that feeling go away. The easiest way in this country that we live in today is to tell everybody how fabulous and great you are by the things that you have. So you go out and you spend some money, whether that's therapy shopping, 
or going out to brunch with your friends or fixing up a room in the house or whatever it is. You spend the money. But then a month or two later, the credit card bill shows up and you feel bad about yourself again. Why don't I have a job that can facilitate the life I want? Why do I have all this debt? Why can't I be better with my money? You feel bad again. And that just puts you right back in that same spot of wanting to spend the money. Well, for John and me, it was feeling bad about who we were as gay men. How do we prove to everybody else that as queer people, we are just as valuable? We show them how fabulous we are by the things we wear, by the vacations we take, by the happy hours, all of those kinds of things. And that was where it started for both of us. But then on top of that, we also tried to live up to a standard within the gay community. There's kind of this archetype or the perfect gay man picture that a lot of people have, both from inside and outside of the LGBT community. And we were trying to live up to that standard as well. Because we couldn't afford it with our jobs, we just started using our credit cards. Do you guys remember how it felt to have these initial conversations with each other? Yes, I distinctly remember the night we had the conversation and confessed how much debt that we did have. It was fall, it was starting to get a little bit cool, but it was still not too cool. We couldn't sit outside. And we were just astounded. Finally, I think we both knew that as individuals, we weren't doing well, but we just assumed that, well, the other one's in financial services. It can't be two of us who are completely messed up. So we just figured that the other one was doing slightly better. And it's just a heavy weight, heavy burden that we were screwing up our lives. Why did we have all of this theoretical knowledge? And we had all these tools available to us, financial planning platforms and investing platforms, all different kinds of things, all these resources, but we weren't utilizing them to the best of our ability, even just a little bit. I think we had a lot of shame. It exacerbated the self-loathing a little bit more. And it was quite depressing. But it was pretty much within the next few days that we said, we can't continue on the trajectory that we're on. We've absolutely got to do something. So I do think that for us, hitting that rock bottom moment was pivotal in us being able to turn things around. It took a while for us to peel back that onion to realize, like David said, we crunched the numbers. Mathematically, it all made sense why we were messes. But how did we actually get here from a money mindset story? It was hard, but it was also somewhat refreshing to figure out, like, why am I being the way that I am? Is there a feeling of relief that maybe something that you knew intuitively or in your gut was now out and being discussed and solved? John and I like to sometimes refer to this process of coming out about your money or about your financial situation, whether that's to your partner or your group of friends or just to yourself. It can be like having that weight lifted off to you okay, now the truth is out there. Now I got to do something about the truth. How do I live a better truth in my life? Because the truth I've been living has been damaging me. That's a part of it, that coming out process. John and I were very fortunate to be going through it at the exact same moment together, driving down the highway. We were going through the same emotions at the exact same time. I almost wonder sometimes if we had experienced it separately, had there been some friction between the two of us, one of us not being prepared or ready to uncover the truth or one of us still wanting to hide it from the other. Oh, everything's fine with me. We hadn't fully integrated our finances at the time. So we were very fortunate to go through that, God, what is going on with our lives at the exact same moment? Why did we turn out this way? That's what was the best part about it for us. That's why we always encourage folks, if you're going to go on a financial journey, whether it's paying off debt or trying to reach some financial goal, Try to find somebody to talk to about it. Have an accountability partner or at least a friend so that you can check in with them from time to time and say, will you be my champion and pat me on the back when I'm doing well? Or will you be the shoulder I can cry on when I'm not doing so well? 
it sounds like this discovery that you were having together and these open conversations was really creating more of a glue to the foundation of your relationship. Yeah, I do think it made us closer as a couple being able to go through this together. And we had mapped out a plan to pay off our debt in three years, gamified it, and we were motivated and we were able to do it in two and a half years. Going through that process together was also good for our relationship. There were times when it was Friday night and one of us just wanted to go out and party and be our old selves again. And the other one was like, no, we got to stick to our goals. We had those moments, but very often we were going through the same emotions at the same time. I think if you're in a healthy relationship with somebody long enough, you're going to have those experiences. Maybe your challenge as a couple isn't necessarily that. Maybe it's something else, but you're going to have those experiences. And if you're with the right person, it'll very often bring you closer together, I think. Would you explain to us how you gamified your situation? We started looking for all the ways that we could make as much progress as fast as we possibly could. We both knew that if we followed the standard way of paying off debt, it would take us years. We calculated anywhere between four to six years is what it would take us to pay off debt if we didn't make some significant changes. And so John and I were like, well, let's get there as fast as we possibly can. We started picking away at what are the big things that are preventing us from making progress as fast as possible. So the biggest thing we knew was that with $51,000 in credit card debt, at an average interest rate of about 20%, we were paying about $10,000 a year in interest. Just ridiculous amount of money. We knew that if we could get rid of that or get rid of most of that, that would help expedite the process. So the game bit, that part began, how do we drive our interest rate down as low as possible? That was how we started using zero interest balance transfer offers from credit cards. And this was in 2005, 2006. There were a lot of offers out there at that time period. And there are not as many today, but they are still out there. So that was one thing. The other thing was having fun with figuring out how to drive our expenses down as low as we could so we have more money to put towards our debt. So for example, we would figure out how could we lower our grocery bill as low as possible through things like double coupon days, using coupons. We would literally sometimes spend like an hour and a half getting ready to go grocery shopping because we would look at what's on sale, what do we have a coupon for, where do they overlap, which store has the best offer right now. I think the best we ever got was one time we got 78% off of our grocery bill. And we spent over $200, which brought it down to like 60 bucks. It was surprising that we could do that. That became a game for us as well. And then I think the more fun side of it for us was, how do we pivot from this lifestyle that we had, but still have a good time? I think we're all of the age here where we know who Julie, the cruise director was from the (laughs) love boat. We basically became Julie cruise director of our group of friends where we took the initiative to say, let's go do this thing because it's free or let's go to the park with a bottle of wine instead of going out for happy hour. All those kinds of ways of trying to reduce our expenses. And it was kind of interesting because some of our friends would pop up with, I'm glad you guys are doing this because I have a financial goal I would like to reach as well. So thanks for helping me cut my expenses too. So you were inspiring people. Yeah. I love this gamification. And I'm curious if you've read the book Super Better by Jane McGonigal. No. I recommend checking it out, not only for you, but for our listeners, because it's a really great book about how we can all bring the power of games into our daily lives and use it to solve challenges. And you guys have done this masterfully. And I think it's great that you were having conversations with your friends as you were going through this and inspiring them. As you were going through this process, 
were your values shifting? I don't think our values were shifting. I don't think that prior to this experience, we really knew what our values were. We were just little buddies hopping along, doing exactly what we were told to do. We talk about this a lot on our podcast is that even before birth, people are projecting onto you what an ideal life for you looks like. So by the time you're in your 20s and 30s and you're out on your own, so much of who you are is what society, family, church, everybody else has defined for you. And so I don't think a lot of us really know who we truly are. David itemized all of our expenses for an entire year. One of the first exercises we did, we weren't making six-figure salaries, but we weren't broke either. And so we were like, why are we making somewhat decent money, but we were struggling so much financially as close to the penny as possible. And on paper, we were looking like rock stars. We were going out to fabulous dinners. We were constantly shopping at Whole Foods, getting designer clothing. Our budget for wine was off the charts. We looked like rock stars, but we looked at that and we're like, well, a lot of people would think that's an amazing life. Why is it not fueling our soul? Why is it not satiating us at all? Why do we continue to have to chase the dragon? Because if we were actually truly happy, we wouldn't need to continue to do that. That's where we started to ask the question of, okay, well, if this isn't making us happy, what would make us happy? And at that point, we didn't know. That's when we started to uncover and figure out what are our values? What do we want to achieve in life? Why are we here? What's our purpose? It's also interesting. We had a conversation with Fletcher Ellingson, Coach Fletch, and we had a conversation with him about the difference between values and standards. Values are things that we all want. I value honesty. I want the truth. I want to tell the truth. But the reality is that every single person lies from time to time. Whether it's a little white lie or it's an egregious lie, we all value honesty. We all value friendship. We value family. But the difference is the standard is basically the lowest you're willing to go to actually live up to that value. And I think that's the difference is that our standards are oftentimes not in true alignment with our values. We were living by different standards than what we truly should have been living by. Our standards should have been much closer to our values. I like that. Another guest had said, you look at your spending and that tells you what you value. You might not think you value it, but it's indicating it. When did you create this business, The Debt-Free Guys? What was the vision? Before we started to pay off our debt, we did our homework to figure out what are the strategies to pay off debt. And we learned about the snowball method and the avalanche method. And neither of those resonated with us because as David said, it was going to take us four to six years to pay our debt off. And we just didn't have that kind of patience. So we came up with our own strategy and close to being done paying off our debt, we thought, well, we have a unique perspective compared to all the books that we saw at the library. And there weren't really a lot of blogs or websites about paying off debt at that time. We both had both our personal and professional experience at finance. So we thought we could provide a different perspective for folks to help them get out of debt if that was their challenge. So we decided we were going to write a book. So over the course of the next couple of years, we put together a book and finally started to shop the book and we sent them out to like 60 different agents. We were just ecstatic. This book was going to change the world. And eventually Oprah Winfrey was going to invite us onto her show. <laughs> and we we're going to have like the David Bach Latte Factor get a book. success you get story. A book. You get a book. <laughs> <laughs> we were going to be able to help millions of people over the world over the rest of our lives and make tons of money doing it. And so we shopped this book. Everybody who got back to us with response said that the book was good and they liked our story. But unfortunately, we didn't have a platform. So finally, somebody said, guys, here are some ideas. Start a blog, get a radio show, get a TV show, whatever. Create a platform and then somebody will be interested in publishing your book. We thought naively all along that writing the book was the platform, but we were completely confused. We looked at all the ideas that this agent had suggested and we thought, well, blogging seems like it's a little barrier to entry. So we decided to toy with that. And our book was called The Four Principles of a Debt-Free Life. We decided to call have a blog, Debt-Free Principles. 
And then about a year after that, we're like, this is stale and boring. We need to make it more personal. And so that's when we became the Debt Free Guys. I'm curious to know, because you mentioned before we started recording that you just purchased a home. Congratulations again on that. Thank you. What role, if any, did debt play in that decision? We did get a mortgage for this home. And to be honest, our journey of paying off debt and then buying our first home, not the one that we just recently purchased, was all informed by what our true cost of living could be. When we were paying off our debt, we had a relatively low rent, the basement apartment. Obviously, we could be paying a lot more money and living in a lot nicer place, but we just weren't. When we decided to buy our first home to get out of the apartment and into somewhere that was bright during the day, we said to ourselves, what do we really need? What do we really want? That was in 2007 when the market was going crazy and everybody was like, buy a home. It'll always increase in value. Buy a home. You need a bigger home. Get this big house. And John and I kept on saying to each other, I don't know. Does this make sense? And our agent kept on saying, okay, this is what you guys can afford. Oh, you guys can afford a lot more than that. We would show in places and he would say, you can buy a home much more expensive than that. And John and I both worked at the same company at the same time. Being at the same company and in the financial services industry, we both were a little leery of what would happen if one of us lost a job. We said, let's make sure that we can afford to buy this place with only one salary. And that was probably one of the best decisions that we ever made, in part because the home we bought was one and a half times our combined salary. Today, the standard usually is anywhere between three and five times what your salary is. And we were well, well below that which meant that in 2008 and 2009 and 2010, when the market crashed, John and I had a lot of extra money in our budget and just kept funneling that into our retirement accounts. Today, we credit that and the fact that we've driven the same car for the last 15 years as being the primary reasons why we're millionaires, why we have a million dollars in our retirement accounts, because we kept our home costs and our transportation costs as low as possible. When it came around again that we were going to purchase something, and now we're purchasing somewhat of an investment property, we're house hacking. We decided to buy a duplex. We'll live upstairs and then we'll rent the downstairs, which is also going to take our cost of living and drive it down really low. But again, we're also purchasing something that isn't anywhere near what we could afford. And that's part of the reason why we are moving to Toledo, Ohio. (laughs) We don't want to take on a whole lot of debt. We want something that if it were to come down to it and our business wasn't able to continue going, we could afford to pay for this home with one of us working at Home Depot and the other working at Starbucks or something like that. We have intentionally kept our debt level really low when purchasing our home. And it sounds like you made a decision about where to purchase the home based on overall affordability. And that has gotten some very interesting facial expressions from people both inside our community and outside. Because most of the time people think of Toledo, Ohio, they do not think of that as the bastion of safe spaces for LGBT people. (laughs) (laughs) But we did make a, a very calculated decision in moving there financially, also because it has a community that we want to go and support, that we want to help because they don't have an LGBT center there. And we want to be a part of helping that community be able to thrive. That's fantastic. You asked the question about values earlier. During our discussion, John and I, when we were paying off our debt, we landed on what our three primary values are. 
One of those is we wanted to make sure that we had a safe and comfortable retirement. And that's what we did. We made sure that we invested for that. The second was that John and I love to travel and we wanted to be able to travel without having a credit card hangover when we came home. So we wanted to have the cash flow in our budget that allowed us to save up enough money to be able to travel. In 2019, we spent three months in Spain as part of our plan of enjoying the life that we built. And then the third is giving back to the LGBT community. We're hopefully having an even larger role in doing that in Toledo. Amazing. We've covered so much. What's one piece of money wisdom you'd like to share that we haven't covered yet? I don't know that we haven't covered it, but I don't think we've talked about it directly. The first conversation you need to have with yourself or your partner when you're trying to figure out what your goals are for your finances, regardless of how much money you have or what have you, is to figure out what it is you truly want in life. Figure out what it is that would make a perfect life for you based on the things that you want to achieve. And then figure out why you want to achieve those things. Why do those things matter to you? So try to shed all of the layers that everybody else has put on top of you and figure out what it is that you want. And we tell people that more often than not, it comes down to three to five things that most people want. Not nearly as complicated as we make it out to be or as TV or movies, have you believe it should be. For most people, it's just a handful of things. For us, it was three. If it's more than that, you're probably not crystal clear on what it is you most want. Pare it down. And when you figure out what those things are and why you want those things, whatever your goals are, regardless of where you come from, what your background is, what your income is, whatever, they'll be much more easy to achieve. This, David, I'll throw in. I love this saying, my circumstances don't define me, my choices define me. Almost every person, no matter who they are, can find somebody who has at least a somewhat overlapping set of circumstances that was able to achieve something great in their lives. Whether it's financial success, whether it's relationship success, success in your friendships and other aspects of your life, find those kinds of people, understand what you can learn from them, and then make the choices that allow you to build that life that you really want. To change your circumstances, you can change your circumstances for the better. Granted, there are some things we absolutely cannot change, but you still can have an amazing life with the unchangeable circumstances in your life. Very inspiring. John and David, you are both in the money talk world. What's your next money conversation going to be and who's it going to be with? Obviously, David said that we're getting into house hacking, our first investment property. And this is something we've been talking to our community about for years, building multiple streams of income. And we've talked about how real estate should be a component of that for most people. It's been a goal of ours for a while. We're finally getting to that. So I think we're going to talk a lot with our community, specifically our Queer Money podcast folks, about house hacking investment properties specifically. We will almost every day have a money conversation with each other. Whether it's about our business or it's about the choices that we're making, we have a lot of choices coming up here. Our slow roll to getting to Toledo, Ohio means that we're going to spend some time with friends in Denver. It means we're going to spend some time with friends and family in Pennsylvania. So John and I are going to have money choices to make along the way, whether it's how much we celebrate with our friends or how much we don't celebrate with our friends, so to speak. So us having those kind of conversations with each other are the ones that I like the most. David and John are debt-free guys. Thank you so much for joining us on Money Tales, sharing your story. I loved how clearly you articulated your values. I think the recommendations for our listeners are really insightful and they come from your heart. Thank you so much for joining us on Money Tales. Thank you for having us and giving us a platform and opportunity to talk with your listeners. Yes, thank you. 
Thanks for listening to the Money Tales podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, share it with someone you think would benefit from listening and leave us a review on your favorite podcasting platform. Your ratings and reviews help more people find our podcast. If you're inspired to gain clarity and peace of mind about financial matters, don't hesitate to reach out to our team at Asperient. Go to asperient.com forward slash start a dialogue. Or you can email Sandy and me at podcasts at See you next time.